We have a sure. host co-host. In the reading of it, the technology often is something that we have to address and we have to be patient as okay. we move between technological platforms. <laughs> I just moved through regular good times. <laughs> I'm still in the last century. Okay, uh, the recording has started. Okay, um, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Civic Design Review Committee. This is July 17th, 2023, and it's 2.01. And I'd like to ask for roll call, please. Uh, Commissioner Stryker. Present. Commissioner Brenzel, absent. Uh, Commissioner Carney. Present. Uh, Commissioner Collins. Present. Commissioner Schneer. Here. Commissioner Shiota, absent. And Commissioner Rothschild. Present. Uh, we have quorum for today's meeting. Thank you. And I'd also like to welcome a new committee member. Um, that is Commission President Chuck Collins. So welcome, uh, Commissioner Collins, to our committee. Welcome to the Civic Design Review Committee hybrid meeting. The meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting to allow public comment and public access to the Civic Design Review Committee meetings, either remotely or in person in room 125 at the War Memorial Veterans Building located at 401 Van Ness Avenue in San Francisco. Um, this meeting is being held in person and by teleconference. Today, the Arts Commission meeting is being streamed using the WebEx platform and will allow for remote viewing and public comment. While this technology allows individuals to join the meeting remotely, it may not be as seamless as we would prefer. There will be gaps and delays as staff transitions the technology between speakers. Please know we're doing our best and we ask for your patience. I want to remind us of the policies and procedures for public meetings. At this meeting, we're bound to follow the structure of our agenda and adhere to the best practices set out in the Good Government Guide. At every public meeting, there's a place for general public comment where members of the public may comment on any item pertaining to this body. In this case, please keep your general public comments to the items under the purview of the San Francisco Arts Commission. For every item on the agenda, there's also a space for public comment pertaining to that item. Respectfully, we ask that you keep your public comment on the topic, and each public comment is list, uh, limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely via WebEx. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. However, there have been some slight system updates to provide public comments. Therefore, please listen closely to our updated public comment instructions that will be provided by program associate Paris Coates shortly. And last, a few virtual meeting housekeeping items. For the public and staff joining remotely, please mute your microphones to minimize background noise. When you speak, you'll have to unmute yourselves. Please speak directly into the microphone and introduce yourself when you speak so others on the phone will know who's talking. I now ask our program associate, Paris Coates, to give public comment instructions now. Uh, for members of the public joining in person who wish to comment on agenda items, once you are called on, you'll be asked to voice your comment at the podium. 
Uh, we will provide you with a blank public comment card and you are recommended, but not required to fill out this card, which will be included in the minutes. You may also make a public comment through the WebEx platform. When you click the WebEx link, you will then be prompted to enter the following information. First and last name and email. These fields are required. However, if you wish to remain anonymous, you may type public in the first and last name fields and public at public.com in the email field. Please ensure that you are in a quiet location and that all devices around you are muted so that there's no echo when you speak. At the appropriate time, the chair will request public comment. For members of the public using web, the WebEx link, please click the hand icon to raise your hand. This will place you in the public comment queue. When it is your time to speak, you'll be unmuted by the moderator. And when your time is up, you will be muted. For members of the public calling by phone that wish to make a public comment, when the public comment period opens, press star three to be added to the speaker line. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear us ask you to state your name and comment. You're encouraged but not required to state your name for the record. I will start your three minutes when you speak using a visual timer. You will also receive a 30 second audible warning. And when your time is up, I will say caller, your time is up. Then you'll be placed on mute and moved out of the speaker line. We will pause briefly before closing public comment to ensure that no other commenters are seeking to speak on that item. Participants who wish to speak on other agenda items can remain on the line and listen for the next public comment opportunity. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included, included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.co.sfgov.org. The summary may be rejected if it exceeds the prescribed word limit or is not an accurate summary of the speaker's public comment. Public comment instructions will also be shared on the screen during each public comment period. Uh, Commissioner Stryker, please proceed with the meeting when you're ready. Okay, thank you. I'd like to start the meeting by reading our land acknowledgement statement. The San Francisco Arts Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Rametush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula area. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their tradition. Is there any general? Um, we'll be taking in person public comments 1st. So, for those joining in person, please proceed to the public comment podium. And for those joining remotely, please raise your hand. If you're listening via WebEx, if you're calling by phone, press star 3 to be placed in the public comment queue. Uh, we're currently on item 2 general public comment. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You'll see a visual timer on the screen and receive a 30 second audible warning before your time concludes. Then you'll be muted once your time is up. 
You may stay in the line if you would like to speak on other items. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less. It's paris.co.sfgov.org. And at the moment, we're seeking in-person public commenters. Is there anyone who would like to make a public comment on the current agenda item? Okay, um, now I'm seeking comments from those joining us remotely. Um, is there anyone that would like to make a public comment on the current agenda item? Looking for raised hands, I don't see any online. Um, public comment is now closed. Okay, thank you. We're gonna move to item number three, and that will be the Gene Friends Recreation Center phase two. This project's been previously reviewed on October 15th, 2018. Um, so team, are you ready? And while you get ready, I just want to make a comment to my colleagues. Um, your commissioners, your perspective is so important in reviews. Um, and this helps our, our teams develop their projects. And so your constructive feedbacks, why we're here. And I'm asking if maybe we can start to think about the time frame that we make our comments in and try to hold our comments within a succinct uh, period. So if you feel the need to come back, in a discussion to talk about a, a comment that you may have made before or respond to someone else's comment. Um, great, we wanna hear about it, but I just want you to raise your hand so that we can make sure that the flow of conversation continues and we can stay on a, a good time frame. So, team, are you ready? Okay. All right. Right. You're ready. You've been ready for days. Um, and I'll just remind you, team, you have 20 minutes to present. Um, and I'll give you a three minute warning. And also, commissioners, this item, um, as you know, was seen at phase one about four, four and a half years ago. So it's had some changes. We now have a completely different design team. So um, it's coming to us at phase two. We'll, we'll hear what they have to say. There's some changes in site plan, et cetera. So we'll be looking at it. Fresh about the store. Yeah, so fill us in. Yeah. Good afternoon, commissioners and Arts Commission staff. My name is Melinda Stockman Sullivan. I am the project manager for this project. That's the Gene Friend Recreation Center project, and this is the phase two design development review. I've been working on this project for many years, and uh, I don't want to take too much of the 20 minutes, but I do think it prudent to spend a few minutes talking about the project background as well as why the large gap in time. So I'm mostly going to focus on that. Then I'll turn it over to a senior associate from Mark Cabanero Associates, Felicia Dunham. Also wanted to point out briefly <laughs> that um, we are joined uh, here uh, in person by Kurt Stubbins from Mark Cabanero Associates, as well as Jasmine Kaw, our landscape architect from San Francisco Public Works, and Claudia Rodriguez from her team. 
and we're joined remotely by Eliza Koshlin from Kuthranerius Architects, as well as my supervising project manager, Noah Levy, is joining online. This project is a joint venture between Mark Cabanero Associates and Kuthranerius Architects. Okay, so when a um, Gene Friend Rec Center is an existing Rec and Park facility in the heart of the South of Market neighborhood at Folsom and Sixth Street. Uh, if, yes. Oh, the light. Thank yes. you. Great. Wonderful. Thank you, Commissioner Schneider. The the park is approximately one acre, and the existing building is about sixteen thousand five hundred square feet. Uh, there's a single basketball gym here, an auditorium, a kitchen, a weight room, outdoor court, uh, playground, and grassy area. Here are some images of the existing site. Uh, this is looking down 6th Street at the current main entrance. This is looking at the Harriet Street here and Folsom Street here, looking at the landscaped area, and you can see uh, the, the building itself here. This building is often mistaken as a another automotive uh, repair facility or even a detention facility. A lot of folks don't know it's a park. This is one of our um, main drivers for this major facility overhaul. So, Planning for this project started back in 2014 in partnership with the Trust for Public Land. At the time, we were working with a design team led by WRNS Studio. Uh, that the funding for that design went through concept design only, and so we were required at the city to do a full request for proposals for a new design team. Um, we in engaged in that uh, a while ago, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. Um, but just a little bit of why the delay, right? So we presented phase one in December 2018, and we also went to Rec and Park uh, right around then for the concept design approval, but we waited for about a year for environmental review to be completed by the planning department. So that's why our concept design was approved in 2019. Uh, we were thinking that there would be a bond measure uh, for parks funding in uh, November 2019 that was pushed back a year to November 2020, which had funding available in early 2021. So essentially, even though we had some funding for design, we wanted to know that we had funding in hand for construction and a full budget before going too much further. So we um, brought the new design team of our Covenero Associates, Kuth Ranieri Architects on board in March, 2022. I do wanna highlight that um, the design team has done extensive work picking up from where the previous team left off. Um, you know, egos at the door, let's build on this and let's figure out what, what can be even better. And then we engaged in a fairly large scale value engineering effort soon after the design team came on board in spring of 2022. Uh, we realized that we were, were over budget. And so that was an opportunity to look at um, how can we keep everything that was approved by this commission and our Rec and Park Commission, the spirit of it, uh, the design principles and the programmatic spaces, and how can we build a more efficient building and, and look at some other options. Uh, this project also has what's called CMGC contracting, which you may have seen from some other public works projects like the Southeast Community Center, the PUC project. So the contractor is actually already on board providing cost estimates and constructability. Uh, we're working with Swinerton Builders and that's been really successful. 
um, but just want to frame the presentation that we're doing our best to show you the materials we'll be using um, that we do anticipate a little bit more value engineering. Uh, we'll talk about that, but we're trying to have as much of that be a back as house as possible. So we anticipate construction start in early 2024. Uh, we anticipate being back to you for phase three review probably this November. And then these are the kinds of coordination that we're doing, which I know you all are familiar with a lot of this, but um, just kind of balancing the, the aesthetic quality input that we get on the design side from you with all of these other areas of um, our staff making sure they can maintain the facility um, disability access review, of course. Uh, we have environmental issues. This is in the Maher zone. So working with the Department of Public Health, PG&E power and timelines, everyone's favorite. And of course, cost estimating along the way and permitting. So this is, these are some renderings from the phase one review, again, with the, the previous design team. I'm just gonna highlight briefly the main uh, design intent were to bring the existing building to the corner of Folsom and 6th and have this, this large mass of the double court gymnasium really be a light box and um, you know connect the indoor and outdoor and be really welcoming to the street. And we have two multi-purpose rooms in this design. Uh, we did have a second, a small second floor in this design, which has since been value engineered. And um, we're really happy with the new design. Our team is also happier that it'll be easier to maintain. Uh, we'll talk more about that. Um, we have two multi-purpose rooms, a weight room, a kitchen, and then a whole new envisioned um, landscape. So the key elements when we brought on the design team, and this came up as part of the RFP interview process, even the, the original design team of WNS Studio brought some things to our attention in terms of just the program, uh, the spatial. It's a little bit alarming. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, one thing that we're going to give you a heads up on is that this design shows the main entrance of the building moving from 6th Street to Harriet Street. Um, and we are excited about that move. There will be doors opened for staffed times and for big events, but since the beginning of this design, um, having a single point of entry to the building has been really desired by the community and our team. Uh, we have after school program there every day. Uh, we have underserved communities and it was really prioritized to have a safe and secure space for the youth. Uh, we also looked at clear lines of sight from the reception, uh, making the building one story to significantly improve security and safety. And then the, uh, one of the big ones is consolidating the outdoor play area and landscape. And so um, Felicia will talk more about that. We wanted to have a space, really good sight lines, and then also a lot of gathering, uh, gathering and plaza space in the security and then balancing the daylight in the gym to avoid glare and then also being sustainable. So with that, I will turn it over to Felicia and I'm trying to be succinct and happy to answer more questions. Thank you. So this is showing the, <coughs> excuse me, the concept that was shown that, that was um, presented here um, at phase one. It shows the single point of entry on sixth. Um, one of the initial comments that came back from Rec and Park was that, that they, they really, really wanted to maintain a single point of entry, but that the sight lines throughout the rest of the facility were, were not working in this scenario. In addition, the second floor, uh, that has a small second floor, was 
was difficult for them to supervise. Um, also, we wanted to take into account the comments that were received during that uh, phase one review. Uh, the thought of that we might need to explore alternate materials uh, due to cost, which turned out to be true. Um, a, a desire to have a more welcoming entry was something that we were embracing, as well as um, study for lighting. <laughs> so the elements that were maintained was that light box element at sixth and Folsom, a taller, um, brighter element, which still houses a two-court gymnasium, just as in the phase one concept. Um, the gymnasium has windows around the top to provide ample natural light throughout, as well as some skylights on the roof. The landscape area, it, we maintained the single point of entry, as mentioned, and moved to Harriet Street. The landscape has been consolidated into one space instead of divided into two for better supervision, also to make it more flexible for day-to-day -day programming and community festivals. And there's a walking loop to support um, use by seniors on the site. So this is the new floor plan site plan um, the, with the single point of entry on Harriet. The reception there can look into the gymnasium, can also look out into the, out into the park, across to the multi-purpose rooms. The multi-purpose room facing the park, which is used by the after-school program, has very good um, ability and sight lines all across the outdoor areas. And the, the walking loop surrounds the, the play area. So from a design concept, um, it's, a, it's a double volume. It's all on one story, but the gym is a double volume space surrounded that's wrapped by a single story. The gymnasium has a series of vertical windows that surround the entire upper portion of the gymnasium to provide light all the way around, as well as skylights on the top. The sun is screened by metal louvers that are um, that shade those windows and will provide different shading at different times of day, but prevent the glare from getting into the gymnasium. Then that metal louver element then also reappears as, as part of the metal fencing. Uh, so it's as if you took a section at the lower and just slid it back on either side and revealing the activities within the gymnasium. This is an elevation from 6th Street. The renderings show the the design concept a little bit better, but so I'll go through these fairly quickly. But this is showing the, the double height gymnasium and the single story and then the fencing around the play area. This is from Folsom. Again, the idea to provide a lot of transparency at that at that first floor level uh, for visibility of activities inside. And this is from Harriet showing the new entry and um, multi-purpose room and gymnasium, uh, not gymnasium, uh, the um, exercise room are on the right with the other multi-purpose room on the left and the play yard. So this is from the corner of 6th and Folsom. The, on the, applied to the glass, there's a, a gradient frit that um, provides some privacy. It was the stakeholders expressed a need for privacy, not just people looking in, but being able to see what's outside. So. Um, Still wanting to provide some visibility, but a little bit of privacy. Uh, there's a gradient frit on the glass. And here you can see the louvers around the upper portion of the building. This is the new entry on Harriet. Um, a pair of large swinging gates open fully when, they, when the um, facility is open, but then close fully to secure the facility at night. And it has a configuration also where the park can be used at times when the facility is not. 
this is the corner of Harriet and Folsom, and that's a view of the exercise room. This is looking up from 6th down onto the site, uh, looking at the play area. This is from standing within the, the um, in the outdoor park, looking back toward the building through the play area. So there's a strong connection between the multi-purpose room on the park side, which we're affectionately calling the park room, um, where the multi, where the um, after school programs are held. So they have very good visibility out to the park and can see what's going on there with the, with the children. This is looking back at that park room from outside from a space that then so that park room can spill out into the outdoor courtyard to make it more flexible, especially for larger community gatherings. Uh, this is um, some of the materials that we envision. The gymnasium will have a wood gymnasium floor. The structure paint, painted a bright yellow, um, as well as we have gray stucco on the upper portion some concrete, some metal panel, um, corrugated siding, as well as flat panel siding, and some glass and louvers. Uh, it's a small site, so there is limited opportunity for landscape, but we have landscape around the edges uh, facing the street behind the fencing to, to give a welcoming um, park-like feel to that portion of the site. And this is just a list of the plants. And of course, we have Jasmine Ka here available and Claudia Rodriguez to answer any questions specific to the plants. The plants were very closely coordinated between um, Bureau of Landscape Architecture and Reckon Park um, to make sure that they were uh, water-wise maintainable and, and durable to um, use by children. This is just another view of the play structure currently envisioned for the site. It'll be a combination of accessible features and as well as the, the ones that are not accessible. Uh, we're hopeful that we can incorporate some uh, adult exercise equipment in the site as well. Uh, this again, that's that may be a budget constraint, but that is the goal for the project. As well, we're hopeful that we can incorporate some some wooden benches on the on the concrete site walls um, and, and picnic tables. There'll be a picnic area as well. Uh, we have for our, um, part of our water management, stormwater management is uh, pervious concrete paving around the site. Uh, we can't infiltrate as one of our BMPs, uh, but we are provided, we're required to provide some pervious, a mix of pervious and impervious. So in our case, all of the site paving will be pervious concrete. Thinking about lighting at night, the, the lighting is purely for security. The park is not intended to be used at nighttime, but we have a series of lights on the building that will provide some security and visibility into the landscape at night. Um, the lights along you see along the half court there are intended to um, allow you to see through the site as opposed to just looking out into the darkness. This is a view of from inside. Uh, one of the opportunities for public art, the, the prior main opportunity that was identified was on the gymnasium wall inside the 
inside the court here. Uh, indoor locations were preferred over outdoor locations for their maintainability. Um, and also from visibility. This is if you're standing outside on Folsom, you can still look through the gymnasium and see the art from outside as well as from inside. Uh, you have about three minutes remaining. Uh, that's good timing then, because I think this was my last slide. <laughs> and just a view at night. And the intent to provide a very welcoming, friendly um, facility where, where people know that it's a rec center, as, as Melinda mentioned, one of the one of the barriers to people using the site right now is people don't know that it's public. It's surrounded by a fence. It's not open all the time. And when we met with neighbors, they were very interested in their, their questions were like, well, when is it going to be open? And when can our kids use the park? And they were very excited about the idea of having it open even when the, the park opened, even when the rec center was not. I didn't mention on the plan, but we are providing exterior restrooms for the park for those situations when, when the building is closed. And that's it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I need some light. Thank you for that. Um, commissioners, comments? I'm happy to go first. Sure. <laughs> Everybody at me. Uh, okay, so. Um, I heard uh, a fair amount of conversation about uh, value engineering. Um, and so a couple of things about the bars. I noticed that the bars uh, cover uh, opaque service uh, and that they also wrap all the way around. And I mean, they're beautiful, but um, it'd be a question of, uh, you know, what are they uh, protecting? Uh, well, the louvers are providing screening for those windows. On, on the upper level, so that you're speaking of the screen that runs around the top here. Yeah, but but the, there's only those vertical punch windows. Is that correct? And all the way around. Yes, they go all the way around. Yeah. So, but mm -hmm. there's uh, the extent of the vertical bars and is way more than the coverage for the actual window. So it's just a question of bang for your buck. And I, I love mm -hmm. those, and they remind me of the Mark Cavanero project in Mission Bay. Um, but that one. Those bars are uh, covering glass, so it's just a question. Um, okay. And then just throwing it out there, and also obviously it goes around all four uh, orientations. And you, Commissioner, could you speak into the? Yeah, so you wouldn't obviously need them on the north, but though I get the design intent. Uh, yeah, the, in the south of Market, as you know, the north is actually on a diagonal. Uh huh. So. Where north is exactly? Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand. Our design team gets confused sometimes just talking yeah. about it because what's yeah. north? What's true north? Plan yep. north? I understand. Um, yeah, I saw the so, yeah, I saw the north arrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I I guess another question about the vertical bars is I I appreciate uh, how it's uh, enclosing the mass of a double height volume, um, but I'm not sure if it. Uh, needs to be on again maybe a value engineering thing and also a strength of this light box if it needs to be on the parapet of the uh one story um you know maybe the uh the double height mass with the vertical bars would read as a stronger piece if it was divorced from the single uh story uh just a thought and again maybe a value engineering thought no that's a very good thought because it must be our drawings aren't reading very well because we actually are not proposing any louvers on the one story portion. 
Okay, I thought it was, yeah. I thought they were on the there. Yeah, there is. There, the we are proposing corrugated metal, so it's oh, okay. possible that that as louvers. No, I mean it's our bad. Okay, <laughs> no, I understand. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, and then just in terms of the color, and this is super subjective. Again, I love Mark Cavaniero's work. Uh, such a great, uh, you know, uh, con contributor to the city. But um, just in terms of the idea of the structure being yellow. Uh, you know, one idea is again, the bars that, and I don't say that in a um, punitive way, <laughs> you know, but the bars, they do have a certain, uh, you know, uh, in enclosure that feels very tight and more, uh, uh, you know, uh, so anyway, maybe the, maybe the structure is not color, but maybe the bars are color or, or something like that. Just to, again, lighten up the vocabulary of, of the bars. Um, then one, I know I'm taking a lot of time, but uh, you're oh, sure, of course, yeah, <laughs> just try to keep it uh, concise. But so we actually initially showed the whole uh facade as yellow, the uh -huh. the, the corrugated metal panel on the first floor, uh -huh. and we shared that with the community. And um, folks brought up the really high vehicle corridor air pollution exposure zone mm -hmm. to us, so we studied a couple other colors like a, a sage green. And then this gray, and then that's why the yellow was brought in inside to be sort of a, a, a cheery, you know, let welcoming. Uh -huh. But it's really funny because when we did the neighbor site walk also to let folks know, hey, we're planning to put the entrance on your street. Uh -huh. And we mentioned the yellow to them as well. And one of them shared that their building had been painted yellow and they repainted it. So, um, but but I, I, I uh -huh. comment is well taken, but that, that was the kind of our, a little bit more behind the curtain on the process. For sure. the Absolutely. There's always lots of reasons. And then, uh, Again, the uh, just the um, the uh, the frit, the gradated frit, and I, I feel like our our jail has given gradated frit kind of a bad rap. Um, and just again with the bars and the gradated frit, I'm just wondering if there's a different way to somehow uh, you know be provide that gradation. Maybe it's more colorful, more, maybe more playful. And I'm not talking you know mm -hmm. primary school, but to something okay. more okay. Um, and uh, I think that's it. Thank you. Those are good comments. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. It was a very clear presentation. Um, I'm, I didn't, I wasn't here in 2018, so I didn't know the, the history of it, but I'm thrilled that you put the building back on the corner. Um, to me, that's how cities are defined, is by strong urban edges, strong corners, and suburbs are defined by parks. So I'm glad that you've fixed that that backwards arrangement. Also, um, I hated the um, current building from the day that it went in because of that fortress-like look and never understood how it happened. So I'm also thrilled that that is leaving. And it's wonderful to see the building um, will hold all the urban edges and that the edge is transparent and well lit as well. And I also had a question about the, the frit, and I was also thinking of that jail on Bryant Street. And um, so I was wondering if it could maybe be stripes or dots or something else, but the foggy look on the, on the jail, is, it looks like overspray from a paint company. And um, as I walked around the site over the weekend, I couldn't help but notice all those huge glorious palm trees and none are in your scheme so um what's happening to the palm trees can they be replanted elsewhere in the city or can they be sold to a 
palm transplant company or something so that they are reused and not killed? Sure, thank you, Commissioner, for your comments. And uh, some community members also had asked about the palm trees since they're fairly significant. Not fairly, they are significant. So we looked at the possibility of keeping them, but it's a full demolition, so that would be difficult. We also looked at transplanting them either on site or another site. Um, it's actually fairly costly. And our our staff, in terms of keeping them on site, our staff also um, especially with the construction in South of Market have had a lot of rodent problems. So the rodents actually nest in the canopy. Uh, so at this point, um, we are kind of future planning. Um, the Maher ordinance requires that we take out the top um, 18 inches of soil. So short answer is we, we have not found a good way to sell them or transplant them. I thought the transplant companies actually came and dug them up. Prior to any construction, yeah. so they just cleared them away from the site. Then you could do what you needed to do. Correct, and I can I can get more information if that's helpful on the research um, and the they'll take them for free. Right. Commissioner Schneer. Okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the the design is really lovely, and I congratulate you on that. Um, and uh, both. Uh, uh, Mark and uh, Kruth and Neri do great work, so it's nice to have a project of this caliber coming to us. <clears throat> um, I had a question about, um, I, I also have the same issue about the gradient frit, but even more so than that, I'm a little concerned, particularly 6th and Folsom is a very active corner, a lot of heavy traffic, and to have, you know, people working out or in the gym in and then the, it, it, aren't they going to be bothered by all this traffic zooming by all the time? I'm I'm a little concerned about that aspect with all of the glass in terms of what's going on inside. I like the inner, you know, the outside inside, bring it, bring it in or bring it out. I, I understand that, but I'm also wondering if 6th and Folsom with all the traffic there is the best place for that type of thing. And is there a way to create more privacy at different points. Just asking you to take a look at that. Um, that's uh, one of the things. And then um, the, oh, uh, how how is there access to the park when the facility is closed? I didn't see that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here we go. So here's here's the entry. Right. Two big gates swing across here, so you can only enter lobby and go out. That's by design. Yeah. Right. Right. When that facility is closed, this gate swings 180 degrees. You can walk right into the park. Ah. Restrooms are right here, right adjacent to the play area. Ah, okay. So outdoor restrooms only, they're all gender restrooms. Right. Just open when the park, when the, when the rest of the facility is closed. Because there's a rather large restroom up here that serves the entire facility, but only when it's open. Okay. And there is a partition in the, there's a partition in each restroom, but um, we envision they will be physically opened and that feet would, there will be visibility in through the partition for monitoring. 
Ah, okay. Um, the other question about the play area, you have the two different structures. I assume one for the smaller children, one for the larger children. Is that a cor uh, correct assumption? So um, we did a, a lot of outreach with the community specific to the playground design. Yeah. And because it's mostly school age children who are using this site, um, there was a desire to not have the really separated out areas. So the, the main play structure um, is envisioned to accommodate school age kids. Okay. And then we're also looking at some timed use where in the mornings caregivers could come with younger kids. And then, and then, but then the other pieces, you see that blue kind of disc swing yeah, and standalone pieces, those were really designed to be flexible so that they could accommodate a tot or two, but also sometimes you see a group of eight-year-olds get on there or 10-year-olds. Right. Okay. Does that answer so, your question? Yeah. yeah, because I was trying to wonder how you were dealing with the younger and older children. So you've answered that question. Um, and then uh, there's another rendering you did that shows an adjacent building to the park, I believe. Um, if you could. Oh, yeah. I, I saw it there just before this, I think. At the lower level of the. Beach. Yeah, there's um, as you look out from the gymnasium and the multipurpose room out, there looks like there's another building that it, uh, that it butts up to. Uh, that one, there you go, where, the, where you have the trees. Yeah, that's the neighborhood. Right, and question is, how does that interact with the park and stuff? Who, who is the neighbor? How, how does that, how does that work with, uh, with the, the park and the recreation? Uh, so, thank you. So, so that neighbor is an an auto body shop. That's address two forty sixth Street. The city is actually looking to possibly acquire that property, and so we're do, currently doing environmental investigations. Um, we can't hold up the project timeline for this, but we are trying to plan as best as we can because that would likely be an open space and the building would go away. So how that would interface with this project is being looked at. You're, you're hoping to expand the park into there. Per, correct. Okay, great. I was just curious how it was all working together. It's just a blank concrete wall. Yeah. I, 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 that's what it looked like, but I just <laughs> wanted to ask the question because you never know. Um, yeah, those are my questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, so who will operate the, and how will the operations of the park occur? Yes. Um, so it goes to a few questions that I want to make sure of. There was a lot that was to be learned from Bodecker Park. Um, which in many ways was a great vision, but the operational aspect of it, the issues of child safety, the issues of population mix um, is still something that has to be managed very deeply. How have you and what community input did you receive that you mitigated um, to ensure that the population, because it's a public park and there will be children of all ages and stages, and so that goes to both the building and the operations. Who will operate the park? Correct. Thank you. So Rec and Park will operate the park. Um, we have partner agreements with community organizations to run the after school program. And also we do permit um, the basketball gym currently to the Bessie Carmichael Elementary School. So we have partnerships, but unlike some of our other facilities, we don't have any core tenants like we don't have a YMCA or a youth survey organization um, manage the site. So we will have our, we have rec staff and we currently have three recreation staff and then 
They work in close partnership with community organizations, um, primarily United Players and the West Bay Filipino Multi-Service Center for the programming of the site. And then we have additional programs, like we're still coming online post-COVID, but we've had senior ballroom dancing, uh, Zumba, other programs like that. So we have worked extensively with those core community members and the friends of Jean Friend and Victoria Manolo Draves. And we've done a lot of community meetings and when we we're doing the concept design, the Trust for Public Land also did some focus groups. Um, since then, we've looked, you know, at the playground design with the core stakeholders, and we've done a couple meetings. And then, because there's so much change over in the neighborhood, as you mentioned, we met with Harriet Street neighbors. Um, we did a, a posting just to that block to let folks know um, where we were with design and that we were planning to have the main entry be on that street. Uh, we also have a community member here today to make public comment. So it's very helpful. Um, you mentioned several community partners. That's the, the rub of the question, is because of technology, of in, you know, all of those provisions that are required to go with partnership. How have you addressed them? How have we addressed the more technology? Question? Please, sorry. So each partner that comes in has its own operating requirements, correct? So how those overlapping um, partnership requirements, the underlying infrastructure, the safety issues, risk, things such as that, each one of them brings its own um, element of program and overlap. And so if we looked at Bodecker Park, it was under-resourced in terms of technology. There was not enough room allocated for the partners to be able to leave their stuff behind, you know, because you, that's, that's the nature of the partnership. So did you address things such as that to ensure that there is sufficient administrative space so the community partners can really be effective in, in what they're doing? And also for technology. Thank you for illuminating that issue, which is a core design issue and really important one. Um, I believe that we have. Uh, we have worked in partnership with the, the core community stakeholders as well as different folks from Rec and Park Division. So our permits and property management staff, our IT staff, our um, operations folks who supervise the gardeners and custodians. So um, what we've really learned from this project is it may be hard for someone who manages the gardens and custodians to say, we need 1,200 square feet for landscape storage and it has to be wet, dry, separated, but they can look and say, well, I liked this about Kimball, but I didn't, or I like this about Bodecker and I didn't. So um, I believe that we are, you know, in terms of lighting, coordination, security, cameras, um, do you want to do you want a projector and screen or do you want a, a TV monitor? I think we have done a lot on that front. Thank you very much. Thank you. The final question is, um, how are you going to keep the building clean? How are we going to keep the building clean? So we have outside and inside. Right. Yep. Excellent question. So we have some rec and park standards that our structural maintenance yard uh, works with us on in terms of, for example, um, yeah, replacing the structure, the roofing, the HVAC, all the bones of the building. So we review all of that with them and we've made some updates based on their feedback. And then the day-to-day, -day, the gardeners, custodians, it's looking at access for them. Is the mop sink in the right place, uh, et cetera. And then also when we're looking at systems like the fencing, it's a really important design move that the fencing be connected with the building, but our maintenance staff were really clear, you know, they, they can't have uh, six-figure fence panels from the other side of the world. They need to be able to procure replacements um, in a way, in a manner that makes sense. So we have looked at that. Thank you. Those are my questions. Okay.
and also using a lot of painted surfaces because my understanding is that they a lot of the way they handle graffiti or other things that happen is 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 just by repainting so um thank you good presentation and i appreciate the i appreciate the rigor of the building um i think that looking at the frit again could make a difference um landscape issues came up for me and the there's some pros and cons with moving the entrance to Harriet some good pros but one of the cons is that the neighborhood uh, street sidewalk is really narrow and I'm wondering if you can address that because when I went out there to look at it yesterday there were some real problems with it one it smelled like urine badly trash so it wasn't really pedestrian and bicycle friendly in terms of the sidewalk itself and then the tree pits were half size kind of half in the street, half in the sidewalk. So it wasn't really friendly for more than one person walking at a time, not two people together. So maybe you could talk about what your plans are for the sidewalk, especially if this is a primary entrance and needs to be a welcoming place that more than one person will be going into at once. Thank you, Commissioner Stryker. Um, so we have looked at this, um, for example, the trees I know the neighbors are having a hard time with trees because if they are, are vandalized or removed, they often cannot be replaced because there's not sufficient width. Um, we we knew that we'd, you know, choosing Sixth or Harriet, one or the other scenario, we looked at Harriet and all the benefits. Um, also, I wanted to point out that we are really planning for visual connection and transparency into the site from Sixth. Um, in terms of the space here, we're meeting uh, with the public works disability access coordinators and MTA folks who look at the parking zones, loading zones, et cetera, uh, tomorrow morning, actually, just to review the circulation plan. Um, we are confident that the, the scale of this, the scale of this space is still workable. Um, we're also coordinating with the Folsom Streetscape project and the Sixth Street pedestrian improvement project. So the Sixth Street project, for example, is envisioning a loading zone on Folsom. Uh, just north of Harriet. So all that to say, um, we think it's doable even with the narrow width. Um, the Sixth Street sidewalk is wider, but it's also not a very wide sidewalk as as much as you would think it would be. I think it's six feet, maybe. Uh, not, yeah. So that's what I can offer now, Felicia. I don't know if you have anything to add. Well, and just thinking about how people will enter the site, um, the, we aren't. We are planning for a white zone right in front of that entry plaza and by swinging the gates toward the building we create a widening of the sidewalk right at the entry so that if somebody is waiting to be picked up or somebody who's getting dropped off there is a little bit more gracious there's more space available at at that zone where there's the most concentrated activity okay um other thoughts i have that i wanted to share um it seems to me i understand that it's a very small site for garden park use and you have picnic and other things but it seems to me that green spaces are really important in that neighborhood that the tree canopy needs to be rich in that neighborhood it needs it it deserves it and so some of it may be on the sidewalk and some of it may be inside and you've got some trees proposed for inside um, but it doesn't feel very green it feels pretty sparse and so I'd like to know if you might take a look at that 
um, I mean, even putting green vines on a wall could be a huge benefit to giving a sense of green. And there's some problems with vines. They tend to be more maintenance, need more maintenance, or they might need an armature, but it could just really make that. And if you have tree health problems because the tree pits on Harriet Street are like two feet wide, you're gonna have some pretty unhealthy trees, which you have. So how are people gonna know that that place on Harriet, that's the entrance? If you don't have rich trees, if you don't have a sense of presence of the sidewalk, what is your thought about saying this is where you come in? Thank you. And I, I wanted to address the first part of those um, comments, uh, questions and comments. So bottom left here, you can see this is a PG&E primary service enclosure. So that is part of our property, but we negotiated as hard as we could. Um, I think the color is not reading so well in this rendering. Uh, we wanted to have, you know, a green uh, surfacing of the playground, but it's it's reading a little paler than we envision. And I think the street trees are uh, a pretty good scale here, but I think the plantings inside are, uh, we envision them growing in quite a bit more, but I think we were conservative with what we showed. Um, in terms of your question about wayfinding, that has certainly come up. And I think, you know, having the lettering on the, on both corners, both Folsom and Six and Folsom and Harriet to bring people in uh, will be great. And I think that the the trees on on our, within our property on the Harriet stride side will be uh, quite large as well. And it was pointed out to us through the design process that, that currently the current facility has two entries, the one on on Sixth Street that was just in the concrete block wall. And there's also an entry on Harriet. The new entry will be roughly in the same place and. We were told that approximately 50% of the people who come to the site already come through that Harriet entry. So this is not uh, as big of a change as maybe it seems on, on paper. So some locals know about it. Yeah, that's and one other thing, I, that's a good, that was a really great suggestion about vines and Jasmine, our landscape architect, also suggested that for the wall above the basketball court, um, and we looked at it extensively with our operations team. Of course, we're not going to, you know, attach to a neighboring wall, but we look at those green screen, different products and our operations staff were just really resistant because um, one, because of rodent and difficulty maintaining, but even more than that, um, they were saying that you need a much larger cutout uh, open pervious area in the paving than, than you would think. So um, I'm not discounting at all your request i'm just saying that we we did look at it and that that was the constraint but definitely point taken about the richness and, and making it as green as we can um i don't don't want to put the landscape architecture team on the spot but if jasmine or claudia if you have anything to add feel free come forward if you i i commissioner striker i completely agree this is a neighborhood that really needs a greenery you know connection to nature and uh, for both you know, all generations, but especially for children, um, you know, looking at the surroundings and where we are. So nature connection is very important. So as a landscape architect, <laughs> um, you know, I've fought very hard to keep the greenery that we still have. Uh, we, you know, hope to add more, we'll have to look at it. Uh, but the vines were considered, um, but, you know, for the reasons that Melinda mentioned, um, we had to take them out. <laughs> 
but you know, I, I think it's, it, I agree with you completely that this is a, 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 a park that really should look like a park, but, but again, we have all these different programs. You know, the playground is also a very important need for the community, especially for school age children. So if you look at the playground across the street, Victoria Manolo, which is, you know, has a sort of a younger age set kind of a play structures and it is underutilized. Um, so when we talked to this community focus group about the need for the play structures, it was really well voiced that we needed challenging more sort of, you know, school age, after school age, sort of middle school, you know, age, um, you know, five to 12 kind of um, attraction that, and, and we went through a process again, as Melinda mentioned, looking at various different types of, but they said, we really want a playground that looks like a playground, you know, with a slide and we want swings. We don't want sort of, you know, nets or nature play. We want something that's, um, you know, going to tell we, we deserve it. That's what they said. We deserve a playground. Um, so, so that's, those are sort of the considerations. So yeah, playground is quite large. And so it does take away sort of the park space that, you know, the greenery that we, we um, you know, we could have normally in another setting. But um, so it's sort of balancing act of different needs. Um, but definitely, you know, the Harriet side, um, maybe the renderings, the scale of the drawings right now, as Melinda said with the green, it doesn't pop up as much, but we, we, we will have greenery um, as part of our, our palette. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, there's a comment. I'll I'll let you make ask that question. Well, we're having a change in climate. So what are the temperature gradients going to be for kids playing in the playground? That's a huge surface. Um, so how are you gonna address that? Excellent. Um can I can I provide one more response to what's on my mind? So the, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but there are a lot of structural constraints. The soil in this site is terrible. So one thing we're looking at um, to be more sustainable and to save money is to actually, whether we can use the, the existing slab foundation of the existing building to anchor at least a large play structure. Um, in terms of trees, our operations team are really clear that they they really cannot maintain trees and plants right in the playground without a large wall. And basically the whole site is going to have this lightweight cellular concrete underneath the surface that everyone sees um, to try to mitigate settling over time. So um, I'm not at all trying to be defensive, but just telling you that we want as many trees as we can, but um, there are structural constraints. Um, regarding your question, Commissioner Collins, about the temperature gradient, um, that's a great one. We have um, looked at the materials. I don't think we've studied the specifics of the temperature gradient. Um, we did look at sun and shading because some some communities for projects want more shade in the playground and the community members you know basically said we want play value and it doesn't get that that hot here's a follow-up question if you don't mind um i know that you considered the canopy of the trees and the tree species but these trees have a very small canopy in terms of width and maybe you can address that. I'm I'm sure that you've discussed that in your office when you're planning this. Is there a reason that there isn't a broader canopy on some of the trees that might give a stronger green presence to this park? 
And I can ask Jasmine for specifics. I, you know, to be to be honest and transparent, I think that the rendering of the tree size was done kind of quickly. I don't think it's super reflective of the canopy size itself, which is a learning lesson that you know, that is an important thing to show. Jasmine, did you have any other comments you wanted to add? Species, I'm sorry, I have it here somewhere, but um, sure, I can go over. Just please. So the the tree species we have three major ones. Um, all of trees, they they do have a good canopy size, and they are um, within the park. And then then we have the trees that are more um, columnar. Um, you know, sort of a backdrop to that very blank wall that we see with the auto body house so that we can actually give a nice green backdrop, you know, as you come into the park and have that sense of, you know, some greenery. So that's sort of how we, you know, looked at the, the, the architecture of the trees, so to speak. But as Melinda and I think Felicia was also mentioning earlier, um, the operations needs in terms of, um, the, the recreation and park gardening staff, they gave very direct and very focused input <laughs> to our tree selection because they're going to be maintaining the trees. So we want to, you know, also again, make that balance of, yeah, we want to, we want to have a nice presence of greenery, but we also want something that we put in to last. So we got to listen to the maintenance folks who say, well, you know, these are the, the green, but the understory, um, and there is a, a list of shrubs that we mentioned in the next uh, page. And my vision was also to really kind of, again, thinking about what is sustainable and what is, you know, what's going to last after we leave, right? So all this plant power that we have as an understory sort of layers of green is mostly layers of green. Um, so that, you know, as you come into the park, and these are some, some of them are, majority of them are in sort of raised planters, so they, you know, kids are not walking through them, um, so they, you know, ability to last. And of course, the, you know, native and, you know, low water use and maintenance concerns as well. Um, so, yeah, so it's sort of that sort of a plant design is what we were thinking of. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. It's a challenge. There's no question it's a challenging site on many, many levels. And and one other comment is that this area and the, uh, the corner, oh, sorry, the corner of the site um, by Harriet, this is where that curved seating happens um, and then the picnic tables. And so this is really envisioned to be kind of a, a respite. If, you know, youth are having a conflict, they can come out here with the youth workers and sit. So th this is really meant to be a, a lusher area. Okay. You see that. Thank you. Commissioners, other comments? Um, can we have public comment? Sorry, yes. Um, okay, so we will be taking in-person public comment first. For those joining in person, please proceed to the public comment podium. And for those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. Um, if you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the public comment queue. Instructions are on screen. And we are currently on item three. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer on the screen and will receive a 30 second audible warning before your time concludes. And then you'll be muted once your time is up. You may stay on the line if you'd like to speak on other items. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included 
in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.coats sfgov.org. Um, and so now we're taking in-person commenters. I see we have one. Um, and your time will begin now. Okay, first I'd like to say uh, good afternoon, commissioners. And I have a letter from uh, Michelle Levis, who's a member of the neighborhood. And then I want to add a comment for myself. Okay, so I guess we get six minutes. All right. Um, Michelle Levis is a 20 plus year SOMA resident, San Francisco native, and the director of community and family engagement for United Players, and a member of the Friends of the uh, Gene Friend VMD Park. I am writing to support uh, of the Gene Friend Rec Renovation Plan. We have been uh, thankful to be part of this design process since 2015. We are also excited about uh, this project and offer our full support for the design and our appreciation for the project team, including communities, participation, and input. Our neighborhood has the least amount of public open space in a community that severely lacks for ba uh, backyards and many live in, the, in crowded conditions. Our community deserves nice new public facilities like every other San Francisco community. Thanks for supporting this project in peace, Misha. And my, oh, I guess my three six. And my name is Tim Figueres. Um, I was one of the original staff members for Reckon Park when, when this, this park opened back in, um, was it 1990, June 1990? Yeah. And I was there till 2003. Uh, because then I went to run uh, youth athletics and I returned back uh, 2007 as the facility coordinator until my retirement in 2016. I'm also a member of the Bionee and Equity Center, um, which is up the street. And uh, I'm on the board of the SOMA West CBD. And I'm also part of the SOMA Youth Collaborative and the Friends of Recreation Park and VMD. So as you know, I've had a long relationship with that SOMA Rec Center. And I agree with a lot of the things people said about the park. Unfortunately, I was a Bessie Carmichael, but I wasn't part of the process that rebuilt that, you know, that center up. Um, and I too support the park. Um, there's going to be a lot of challenges there. A lot of it's going to fall on Reckon Park because staffing, when we were there, I was part of a, a, a staff of six. When I was there, I was me and I had part-time people. So the, the, the the budget that Reckon Park has to deal with comes to the budget of staffing. And good staffing, good programming makes that park a safe park. Unfortunately for uh, VMD at the beginning, there was no staff there. And that's why it came in and we formed the Friends of VMD and we decided to populate the park more. And it's now being used for a lot of things. Um, Bodecker had issues as well, because uh, I was up when Bodecker was up. and. Uh, the partnership that Bodeca formed, but it was a YMCA, and I think was, I forgot who the third person was, um, you know, helped that place out a lot. So the staffing is huge. No matter what park you go to, staffing is huge. Um, you could look, it could be the prettiest park in the world, but if there's lack of staffing or not good, strong staffing, that park won't make it. And, um, and the last thing I want to mention, people were mentioning about the urine smell. There's trees that on Folsom Street that at the time of the year, it sheds and it causes that smell. I used to think it was always urine smell. Yes, and I don't know why those trees ever got put up. So I just wanted to mention that 
because the city was the one who put up those trees. So it gave the, the neighborhood and the park a bad name because of that smell. So, and it was no fault to the, the record park department, well, record, but no fault to the record park department and the staff of Selma. So anyway, I too fully support um, the project because it would be nice for the people in that. They're a good group of kids, good group of, uh, I mean, I wouldn't go back being retired. I retired in 2016 and I still part of the Selma community because in my mind it's my second community. Okay, thank you very much for listening to me. Uh, is there any more in-person public comment? Uh, okay, now we're taking online public comment. Um, I see one person. I'm going to unmute you. Caller, can you hear us? Yes. Um, okay, hi, yeah. Now. Okay. Uh, my name is Sean. Um, I recently moved to the neighborhood a couple of years ago, and I've uh, been going to the rec center uh, pretty frequently uh, since then for the past couple of years. Um, I usually go Tuesday, Thursday nights, and then on uh, Saturdays as well. Um, and uh, uh, first off, I'm very excited to see this renovation happening. I think this place is one of the best uh, assets, community assets in the neighborhood. Um, and I just wanted to highlight the fact that when I go, um, or at least when I go on weeknights, uh, the pickup basketball is incredibly popular. Uh, there's huge crowds there. I think that's one of the most popular places in the city for pickup basketball. And then uh, second, the uh, exercise room, the weight room also gets used frequently. Uh, that's why I go myself. And there is a, a, a group of regulars that go there. Um, and it's, very, it's a very diverse group. It's not just like people you know, who are very into bodybuilding or whatever. Uh, it's a diverse group. You have older people, teenagers, women, men, um, it's a, you know, it's a big group of people that go there and, uh, based on searching the rec and park uh, website, it looks like there's only four uh, rec centers in the city that have an exercise room. So I just wanted to highlight, it'd be great to, uh, uh, you know, be able to add to the equipment there or kind of, uh, make that uh, space a priority. Um, I also wanted to mention, it sounded like the outdoor, uh, adult exercise equipment could potentially be on the chopping block. And uh, I think that would be a big asset to the park. Um, I know in the Golden Gate Park Panhandle, there's a new outdoor uh, exercise area and that's very popular. I know there's another one in 17th and Folsom Park, I believe that's very popular. Um, I think if you add those to the outdoor area uh, and adults come and work out there, it makes the whole park look more inviting. I think it helps with the safety issue. Um, I think it'll, it helps kind of create the place more, it makes it more inviting to children as well. Uh, when there's, you know, people from the street can see, um, you know, adults using the area for exercise and whatnot. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to highlight those <clears throat> uses um, because based on going there frequently, those seem to be kind of the most popular um, kind of uh, uses of, uh, of the rec center. Um, uh, thank you for your time and, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any more, uh, virtual public comment, please raise your hand. Um, I'm not seeing any, uh, so public comment is now closed. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for everyone who spoke. Um, commissioners, we have a project here that is coming to us at phase two, and yet there has been a transfer of designers and a new site plan. 
I'd like to know if there's any comment about whether or not we should continue to review this, take this at phase two, or if you believe that there are enough comments and changes that you think that it should come back to us after we uh, vote on whether or not it should be reviewed at or uh, voted to approve phase one, or if you think we should move it forward at phase two. Any thoughts on that? Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, is, is the project currently on budget or is it going to go through another value engineering uh, cycle or is that unknown? The project is currently very close to budget, I would say. Okay. So we've, we've identified some additive alternates um, accordingly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Um, were, were you to um, come back, how long would that period take and would it substantially impair your schedule moving forward to Commissioner Rothschild's question of staying within time and budget? I hesitate to say yes, because it's a very loaded question. Um, we are intent. We need to move into construction document phase. Um, and I know that technically the threshold between phase two and phase three is construction documents. This project is a little bit different in that it's CMGC. So, for example, we'll be permitting the demolition and the, the, the foundation work while we're still finalizing. Um, but even just the effort for our team to um, compile the presentation is, is is quite a bit. So we were intending to come in November, possibly December for phase three. Um, I would say that I don't I don't want to give a round sounding yes, because I think that's too strong, but I, I, I would be concerned a bit about the budget and schedule impacts, um, especially if there are loops um, that remain open that that we might get new or different feedback from this commission in in you know in three or four months or two or three months. Um, I did I did want to make one follow up to Commissioner Shares Snares comment excuse me about Folsom and Six just to point out because the site plan because neighbors had the same question for us when we talked about the change in the entrance you know did this have to go back to the Rec and Park Commission for example and so we talked about the fact that we reviewed all of the design goals the design principles in the program so. The your question about the active nature of the corner Folsom and six that hasn't changed since the phase one approval from from this body. I think we we are looking at. I definitely think that the comment all the comments about the frit and the jail are, are well taken, and we need to study that more. Um, but in terms of the transparency at this site, um, that has always that's been part that has not changed. I guess since two thousand eighteen. Okay. Um Commissioners, this is my proposal, so I'm going to put it out as a motion and see if someone takes it up. Um, I asked for a proposal or I asked for a motion to approve phase 2 of the Jean friend recreation center with the designers coming back with. Uh, another pass another look more concentration. Uh, study of the threat patterning. Possibly the louvers, I would say louvers. That seemed to be a the vertical. Yeah, the vertical louvers and uh, a clear defined presence design presence at the entrance on Harriet Street. Do I have a motion? So moved. Do I have a second? 
Um, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Good. Just a clarification. Is that an approval with conditions yes. or? Okay. Okay. So we come back for phase three and we highlight all of those things right. that you've asked us to address those issues. Okay. Thank you very much, commissioners okay. and staff. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great project. I'm glad to see it moving Thank forward you. at last. A lot of Thank work. I'll just take all this. Thanks. Thank you. All right, um, let's move forward. We are now moving into item number four. Item number four is uh, YBI Hillcrest Road Improvement Project. This is a small project review, a one uh, pass review. And this is a continuation of a uh, work that we did pass at phase, phase three um, for access to the Yerba Buena Island. Uh, where there are very tall walls along the roadway. So we'll let our team present and tell us why they're back for more. Yeah. And uh, team, if you're ready. <coughs> uh, team, you'll have 10 minutes to present and I'll give you a three minute warning. Uh, I'm Liz Rickmarm of the Treasure Island Development Authority for Haida, which is the city of Houston. And uh, we're very pleased to be here today for presenting the Hillcrest Road Improvement Project for your approval. Uh, this project is really a series, part of a series of projects that are intended to improve the vehicular circulation on your Buena Island, as well as enhance the bicycle and pedestrian access to and from the Bay Bridge. Uh, the San Francisco County Transportation Authority, oh, thank you, is uh, is managing the, the project on behalf of Tida, and it is all on Tida land. Uh, the project, the Hillcrest Road portion, is adjacent to the West Side Bridges project, which was before this commission before and reviewed and approved. Uh, Hillcrest Road improvements are funded by a grant from the I, state's IIG program and which has very tight timelines. And though the design is not completed, we are here today seeking your approval so that we can take the project out to bid and for construction and meet the, the funding deadlines. So we have a brief presentation today with two speakers, uh, Kevin Conger with CMG, the master landscape architect, and Muse Sasse, our selected artist. So let me turn it over to Kevin. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Um, Kevin Conger with CMG. I've been involved in Treasure Island for 20 years and am participating in this project to try and help this infrastructure be integrated into the overall intent of the project itself and to just assist as much as I can. Um, the, this is a kind of existing conditions. There's a lot more built now. As you guys know, the Sujimoto sculpture sits on the top of uh, Yorobuena Island, which just opened. Um, the, the areas that you see in orange is the previous uh, bridge and wall project that has been approved by this commission. And what we're doing is extending that same design intent to the area in blue. It's about 1,000 feet, a little more than 1,000 feet. It's about the same scale as the area in orange. The, the height of it, you'll see in some renderings, it's about 30 feet tall at the highest point, um, then maybe six feet tall at the lower areas. 
Uh, here it is again. So you see the west side um, piece, which you, was previously approved, and um, and the purple piece, which is the new area. Um, one of the, and this is one of the early renderings from the west side pieces that that you all saw. The overall concept for Yerba Buena Island is the, for the landscape is to restore the natural environment. It's it's being governed by a habitat management plan, which is removing most of the invasive species like the eucalyptus trees and some of the ground covers and restoring it with plants that have been propagated from the island by ledge, which is uh, a group called literacy for environmental justice. They bring out at risk youth. They do collections of seeds, cuttings and so forth. They have nurseries on treasure island and they go and back and they plant those plants back on on Yerba Buena Island. So it's kind of a it's a very low key uh, environment that's most to be this intended to be mostly about the um, natural environment. And I bring that up because as a design element, um, these walls were trying to really integrate into the landscape as much as possible, as opposed to say kind of a hyper graphic or some of something that was really meant to um, stand out. So I just wanted to set that context um, and then hand it over to Muse to do some of the talking about the current proposal. And I'm going to add that you'll see a few slides at the end of this show that were not in your previous package because Muse has been working uh, a lot to try and <laughs> get as much content to you as possible, because what we're sort of asking you to do is to approve this project based on the approach uh, and the designs that we have shown from the first phase, which will be somewhat extended into this new wall segment. But like I said, Muse has been working to add, add a little bit more bones to that so you can see really where it's headed. So yeah. tell me when to click and I'll go for it. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> okay, good. <laughs> Good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you for having us. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the original uh, design concept, the narrative and the philosophy and briefly talk about how this new edition is going to seamlessly um, be a continuation of that. Those same things. So just uh, the working title of this piece, you can go ahead to the next slide um, and you can go. Yeah, you can kind of just circle through. Um, so. The working title for this piece is Bridging Horizons, and the ethos behind Bridging Horizons is rooted in the project's goal of fostering a strong sense of placemaking within Yerba Buena Island's Westside Bridge infrastructure uh, improvement project, while also creating a contemporary art or work of art that seamless, seamlessly uh, integrates the island's natural environment. Uh, the artwork serves as a warm welcome and an expression of gratitude to the residents and visitors while enhancing the visual impact of the existing landscape uh, affected by the uh, infrastructure project itself. Drawing inspiration from the topography of the San Francisco Bay's islands, uh, the artwork features mountainous structures in harmonious regional earth tones uh, em emerging from the sea separated by water. A rhythmic flow of colorful textured stone runs throughout the artwork, accompanied by a moon phase uh, ascending to symbolize the passage of time and the enduring wisdom and majesty, and majesty of these natural features. Uh, honoring the land by depicting the, uh, by depicting a narrative of the land on the land itself, Bridging Horizons is designed to seamlessly blend the natural environment of Yerba Buena Island while boldly standing as a structural piece of contemporary public art that encourages 
aesthetic exploration and embodies the essence of iconic placemaking for all viewers and uh, visitors to experience. So as we look at this new uh, additional portion, you can see that there is a little bit of technical difficulty due to me sending this earlier today. Um, but so if you look at the design compared to the uh, design that has already been approved, um, I'm using this opportunity to take advantage of the position of this wall and allowing this wall to actually be a little bit more expressive of the narrative idea itself. So if this is a, is this a pointer? Oh yeah. So um, the existing wall on uh, the retaining wall that has already been approved um, has a lot of these structures right here in this design. And that's a way of creating this narrative, but also being true to uh, the graphic nature of the wall itself and allowing it to uh, be contemporary and also bold and kind of seamlessly blend harmoniously into the island. This area right here, this part, this expansion part is going to be more so above the actual tunnel of uh, the Bay Bridge. So you'll see this a little bit less than you would, or a little bit less from the vantage point of Embarcadero. So a lot of the original design was taking into, cons into consideration how this is going to look from Embarcadero and the ferry building and reducing any type of, um, you know, negative impact of this, uh, this project and making sure beautifully, seamlessly blends into the, into the scene and because okay this if we can stop right here you have three minutes remaining okay perfect and if you can see right here this is the beginning probably the first 500 feet of the new design uh, and it's going to be a little bit more um, secluded from this zone right here and I wanted to take advantage of that by doing a little bit more detail of the design itself and within the design I'm adding um, as well as continuing this motif of depicting the land with on the land and depicting the islands themselves in this very um, graphic way. I'm adding uh, designs of trees, very simple um, uh, graphic designs of like a redwood forest that actually breaks into this one moment right here um, that depicts like houses on a hillside back to forest and then back to the rock formation design that is uh, apparent in all the other aspects of the walls. So yeah, utilizing this design to kind of like uh, create more, a little bit more of a graphic sense of narrative um, compared to um, over here, which is uh, a lot more subtle by design. Um, so yeah, so basically the narrative will continue right along this way and uh, stay true to all of the ethos and narrative that we have uh, already had approved. So yeah, and I can answer any questions about the design and thank you again for having us. Clear. Th th these previous uh, phases were a little bit more visible from the bridge and from the water. 
Um, but this current phase is not so visible from the bridge because you're going the other way toward the city on the top deck. You can't see it from the bottom deck, but it's going to be experienced by the people that are driving on the road coming around the island and they're closer to it. Hence the uh, designers intention to have a little bit more detail intricacy, a little bit more going on. Yeah. Thank you. Um, commissioners comments, any comments on this? Can I ask a question? Uh, sorry, uh, uh, who were, were you the design uh, designer for the original? Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is your extension. Okay. Great. Got it. Scope creep. <laughs> Good um, job. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, for clarification, um, could you ex explain the the portions of this? The the gray on the bottom. That's where the cars crash into it. So the uh, or what what is the lower part? Is that is that what this is intended to be? The part that protects the wall from the cars? Yeah, I yep. believe so. So, mm -hmm. that, that, yep. is, um, so uh, that is a part of the design that is built into the wall that I was uh, advised not to design on top of. So um, from my understanding, it's the, yeah, the structural barrier between the street and the wall itself. And and that's the standard Caltrans sort of angle thing that you see in the middle of freeways. Okay. All right. Our boss back there. <laughs> As I was approaching yesterday from the Bay Bridge, I could see big swaths of graffiti out there from the bridge. And so hopefully it will only happen on those traffic barriers, but we know that it won't from experience. So what you've done is quite extensive and is really a piece of art. So how do you repair that? Want me to answer that? Yes, please. So Liz, who's worked with Tide, is going to be in charge of taking care of all this and cleaning up the graffiti when it occurs and, and working with the designer to patch it up and put it back. So Tide is taking on that responsibility. Is that right? And that is. And just to clarify, Tida is a city agency, as I said, and we uh, contract with the Department of Public Works, who has a whole graffiti abatement program. Um, we did explore on the West Side Bridges project that was already approved the use of some anti-graffiti coating. And it was kind of determined that it, it impacts the color too much. Mm -hmm. And so the way I believe, and I'll let the designer tell me if I'm not saying this right, but we decided against that and intend to just abate as quickly as we can. And if need be, you know, bring the artist back to, to touch up what's been, what's been damaged. So that's our plan. It's, uh, you know, the best we do we i'm surprised you saw a lot because we are pretty on it whenever we see graffiti we try to get out there right away and and get it off what is the material of the mural you said stone is it the whole concrete thing? oh concrete. It's gonna be stained trout stained concrete wow mm -hmm. other comments uh yeah uh Musee, I just want to say I think this is a great addition. I'm really happy to see it. I remember everything went through the first time around. And um, Liz, I also want to congratulate all of you guys for being willing to work with us from the very beginning when we said, well, everyone's going to see this. we got to do something here. And so I just want to say thank you for that. And Musee, I think that this is a wonderful piece. It was just too bad that they're going in the wrong way and they won't. <laughs> we turn I, that around. Rather they would drive like, you know, the rainbow tunnel and see it. But, you know, 
they will see it from other points as uh, more is developed there. So um, I applaud you and I applaud all of you. This was never easy. And I thought that we all have worked really well together on it. So congratulations. Um, oh, go ahead. No, please. Okay. Um, so is there any possibility that uh, uh, that there can be some kind of uh, transition in between the gray and the colored bits. I'm sure you guys have asked that a whole bunch of times. Like, it, you know, maybe the lines extending down, or I don't know who who's in charge of that. But are you asking within the artwork or in the structure itself? The guardrail piece. Well, to Patrick's point, I mean, I, it's just uh, you know that it's like the top part is clearly carefully designed, and the bottom part is clearly a very uh, effective working piece of, you know, uh, transportation world. So is there any uh, possibility or discussion that there is a uh, aesthetic uh, merging of the two, whether the lines from the top come down or, you know, or I don't know. Um, that's a great question. Are you an artist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause like, that's a, that's a very good question. I had that same thought. Okay. Um, from my understanding, the barrier, the gray barrier is untouchable okay. um, by, by like law and by, okay. Okay. by road safety. Um, however, graphically, I think I can work on uh, a way to make a transition. Uh, I'm up to, I, I would love a suggestion. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I could do like a subtle transition up into more color. Um, that's something that I think I would have to, you know, be working with the contractors to see if we can do something like that. Um, but that's something I'm, I'm willing to uh, consider and yeah. think about. Well, it's just a question and maybe, maybe it's yeah. okay just the way it is. Yeah. It's a very clear line. So I have that same, I have that same yeah. question and yeah, I think it is, that has to be um, great. It's even see, like I have kind of a texture on it. That's actually not, not there. Yeah, it, that's it's going to be just like yeah. yeah just yeah. to say that texture that looks like texture is actually, I believe, in the rendering light reflection. It, yeah. It's a standard yeah. barrier yeah. that's on every. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I mean, it's it's life and safety. So. Uh, yeah. And it's going to sit forward of the wall a little bit. Is that correct? So there's a shift in the plane. Oh, okay. Which I think helps with the material color change. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and then I guess a uh, very small uh, thing. I I I really like the um, the more uh, uh, I say like uh, uh, I mean I like how abstract the redwoods and the plants are, and I'm just I wonder if there's like some uh, uh, like more of a scale transition somehow between the mountains and not to, I don't want to read it literally, you know, but there's, there's like, because the trees and the plants are so big in scale, they minimize the hills. So I read them differently. And maybe that's, again, it's a subjective understanding and maybe it's not a big deal, but. Uh, yeah, I just tonight, just a thought so I, observation. I, yeah, I think that's uh, a really astute observation um i think in my general practice i'm playing with sc that scale a lot so i think it's kind of um you know it's like it's it's more it's yeah it's perspective it's you know moving from boldness to not i actually 
am interested in the scale, especially with the trees and the plants, because they're really referencing the roots of redwoods, yeah. which are usually um, very enormous in scale. So, um, uh -huh. you know, like this, the scale of this, this is going to be very large. Yeah. You know, this is, I think the highest point is around like 25, 30 feet. Um, so I, I personally really love the feeling of being maybe you're up front with this kind of enormous um, yeah. plant or structure yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely love it. It's just more uh, just, yeah. you know, if there's something more to play with in terms of pushing that. Right. Like in terms of color, like it's the mountains fall back. It, yeah. But again, I don't know what your intent is. So it's not a, it's just an observation. It's not a anything else. Commissioner Collins, did you have any questions? Well, I'm new to this project, but I'm high in praise. Um, I just think that, you know, the historical reference to almost the color palette of the Diego Rivera, right. whose origin story is on this island, mm -hmm. is really beautiful. And without mimicking it, you've echoed it and you've kind of projected it in, in a very subtle and subliminal way. And I think it's, a, it, I'm looking forward to seeing it in place. Thank you. Really appreciate those comments. Um, yeah, I mean, Diego Rivera is a, a definite idol in public art. Um, so, yeah, you know, a lot of the colors too, when I first was on the project for the first time, I was in the ground taking rock samples. And I have in my studio a bunch of different rock. And, um, you know, I had a bunch of stain to choose from. And I was really trying to create a harmonious color palette, but just really st sticking true to those earth tones. And, um, you know, I think that allows from the far view from when we're over at the ferry building, you know, it's going to hopefully blend in. It will, and it's not hopefully it will blend in to the natural colors of the, the island itself. And then when you are up front and up close to it, you will be able to discover a whole narrative, um, that I'm really excited about. So, yeah, thank you. May I just clarify your question? Did you knowingly at, uh, reference Diego Rivera because he has a long history on Treasure Island? I didn't know if you were aware of Did it. I'm not aware of it? No, I'm asking if you are aware. He was, as, as the 1939 Golden Gate International Exposition, he was the artist in, in action, part of it's a, okay. Okay, no, I don't mean to be offended. It was just, uh, oh, wow, that's no, a great in, question. No, in fact, you know, you know, when you take a long step back from history and you really see, um, you know, what color means and shape means, and you um, make abstract the, the murals, they, they tell a story. Um, and this tells the story without telling the story. It's really quite, I think it's a tour de force. Right. Thank, thank you for your comments. Ask for a raise. Nice work. Um, and I'll wrap up the discussion by saying, I. I enjoyed a lot the presentation that you made before. I thought it was delightful and, and creative. And then I saw this and I'm like, oh, wow. I just kind of sat back in my chair and um, it's absolutely delightful. Actually, it has an amazing presence without the, being overwhelming because the colors are muted in the palette that's been described. Um, and then it also has a little clayishness to it that's so just sweet. Mm -hmm. And um, I just am, I'm so pleased that you are the artist for this project. Yeah. It's been a challenge initially 
these tall walls and then you've come up with something really fantastic. So I applaud you for that. Um, do we have any public comment on this project? Um, sorry, I will be taking in person public comment first. So for those running in person, please proceed to the public comment podium. And for those running remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the public comment queue. Um, instructions will be on screen momentarily. We are an item four. Um, as a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer on the screen and receive a 30 second audible warning before your time concludes. Then you'll be muted once your time is up. You may stay on the line if you would like to speak on other items. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.coats at sfgov.org. Um, so in-person commenters, is there anyone in person who would like to comment on this agenda item? No. Um, now online public comment, is there anyone that would like to make a public comment on the current agenda item? I'm looking for raised hands. We'll give it another moment. I uh, don't see any hands raised, uh, so public comment for this item is now closed. Okay, um, commissioners, do I have a motion to approve the small project review of your Buena Island Hillcrest Road improvement project? So moved, Commissioner Schneer. I have a second. I second it. Uh, from Commissioner Rothschild. Um, let's have a vote. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Hearing none, uh, motion passes unanimous. Thank you. Thank you. Nice job. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. Invite us to the party. Right. <laughs> we'll get the first invite. I'll, I'll thank be, you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, next is item number five, which is a presentation of San Francisco's new public trash receptacles. And we will have a discussion and possible motion to approve phase three. Oh, no, no, I forgot. Team, you'll have 10 minutes to present, and I'll start the timer and you begin and give you a three minute warning. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Carla Short, Interim Director for San Francisco Public Works. That's a tough act to follow, so I'm a little disappointed that we ended up at this stage of the agenda. but. I think we still have a beautiful uh, trash can to show you today. Um, I am here today with my colleague, Lisa Zhuo, who is the project manager for the redesign of the city trash cans. And um, we are here for our phase three approval as the city trash can project received approval for phase one and two in September of 2020. There have been no substantive changes to the design since that approval. 
As requested at our civic design review hearing in May, we're back today to share more detailed information about the upcoming manufacturing process, as well as our maintenance efforts. And I would just like to note, it's been a very educational for me to sit here today and listen to the previous items. I'm so delighted that you're so invested in maintenance. This is something that uh, basically we do 24 seven and it is, um, we can't stop thinking about it even if we tried. So it's really, um, it's really nice to hear that there that this uh, commission is also really paying attention to that. Um, so with that, I will hand it over to Lisa. Thank you, Carla, and good afternoon to commissioners. Uh, my name is Lisa Zul, and I'm the project manager for the city's new trash can redesign project. Uh, today on our agenda, we're going to focus on three main things. First, we want to review the slim silhouette design and do a, a, a recap of the new trash can design criteria. Second, uh, Carla is going to provide an overview of the city's maintenance and cleaning programs for public trash cans. Um, and finally, we want to talk about our next steps for the project, uh, which includes issuing an RFQ, RFP um, request for proposals for to start the manufacturing process. Um, so in May, um, I was here for phase three and I provided a pretty detailed presentation on the pilot program. So I'm not going to go into further details of the pilot program, but I want to, uh, to provide a, a recap of the new trash can uh, design performance that we want to see in the new trash cans. And those criteria um, includes the new trash cans being made of tamper-proof materials. Um, they need to be durable and easy to maintain. Uh, the new trash can shall also be resistant to rummaging and easy to surface. And uh, we also want to ensure that the new trash cans would be uh, able to accommodate a minimum of 32 gallons rolling toter um, and also a separate recycling exchange area. Uh, the new trash cans, we are designing it to be aesthetically pleasing and it would become an asset to the city streetscape. Um, the new trash cans are also sensor ready and also cost efficient. Um, so with the uh, pilot program and our own experience with the Renaissance cans, we know that the um, slim silhouette model would outperform the existing older models um, because the older models, for example, the existing Renaissance cans do not conform to the standards that we uh, previously, uh, previously shared in the, in the former slide. Um, to just name a few, uh, the existing uh, Renaissance cans are not um, have a very low uh, level of temper resistance. Uh, temper resistance. The locks and hinges do not perform well, and they are easily broken and damaged. Uh, the existing Renaissance cans also are not resistant to rummaging. Um, the large size openings um, and the size of the openings um, make it very easy to rummage through, so someone can easily reach in and grab things out. The existing cans are also at the end of its street life. Um, the materials are no longer durable and they're hard to maintain. So these deficiencies translate to higher maintenance costs for the department. Um, so with the new slim silhouette model, um, they were designed to address these deficiencies. And also we made it, uh, made, you know, make sure that the new design would offer new improvements, such as uh, easier to service. The uh, new trash cans would be able to accommodate a 32-gallon rolling toter, like I had mentioned previously, and uh, the rolling toter would be capable of being attached to uh, garbage trucks so that they can be mechanically lifted and emptied. The current trash bins do not do that. 
Um, the new trash cans are also designed to receive sensors, um, and these sensors, uh, we have tested in, test them in our existing pilot cans, and they have proven to be very um, effective and are very successful. These sensors allow us to know when the trash cans are near full, so we can target servicing to those areas. Um, the sensors, you know, you know, and we would empty them before um, they become too full. Uh, so this avoids overflowing situations and also avoids having trash <laughs> around the trash cans. I think the sensors, um, you know, with the data that we collected, we also use it to predict trends um, to so we can know where some areas might require more frequent uh, uh, more frequent servicing versus other areas um, might not require as, you know, it might be less frequent um, need. So the data that we collect will help us design pickup schedules and modify pickup schedules to uh, meet those ever changing uh, demands. Um, in the pilot program that we launched last uh, summer, um, we tested six different types of trash cans, uh, three of which are off the shelf models. Three of them are custom designed by our consultants. And we received over 1000 responses from public surveys. And um, it was it's the slim silhouette model stood out as the clear favorite of the community members, as well as Recology and Public Works staff. The proposed new silhouette, uh, slim silhouette model, um, we're going to use a high-grade stainless steel um, construction. Um, and so the uh, that material is very durable and would make them easier to maintain. Uh, you know, from the pilot program, we also learned that the slim silhouette offers other advantages, such as the uh, narrower footprint um, takes up less space on sidewalks, so we could have more space for pass-throughs. Uh, the single-sided access actually makes keeping trash inside a trash can more effective. Um, in addition to that, the shoot-shaped um, tunnel behind the opening makes it very difficult for someone to reach in and take things out. So. Um, I'm going to turn over to Carla for her to speak about maintenance and cleaning. And you have about three minutes remaining. I'll go very quickly through these slides. <clears throat> Thank you, Lisa. So basically, um, we we have a multi-pronged approach to maintaining city cans. Um, we rely on calls from 311. Our uh, street and environmental services team is uh, always on the go and so they are also keeping their eyes open for any issues around city cans um, and then we also have a steam cleaning program so our own crews uh, steam clean city cans and we have a workforce development grant that allows um, young and newly arrived folks to get experience um, with a job and steaming city cans uh, we'll go to the next one so we are a 24-7 operation. We have a radio room that takes calls directly from 311, and they can dispatch to people who are in the field so they can be nearby and they can quickly address any issues around these cans. Um, litter pickup, so as I mentioned, um, we are currently spending a lot of time cleaning around city cans. Recology will do a five-foot radius, which is something we've recently renegotiated as part of the refuse rate process. Um, but we're really hopeful that the chute opening in the new can is going to really cut down on that because people will rummage for something and they don't put stuff back afterwards. So we spend a lot of time addressing those maintenance needs. 
We also have, um, as you heard in the previous presentation, we have a graffiti program in-house. Um, we also have contractors. So we uh, can address the graffiti. One of the benefits of the design is with the, um, you know, the slots, they, well, they will still get tagged, um, but they are less prone to tagging than if it was a solid piece of infrastructure, solid piece of metal. And um, I think the uh, power washing I addressed, what's the next one? Recology. So recology is actually charged through the city contract with um, picking up the cans, uh, the, the servicing city cans. And um, it was important that we got their feedback. The rolling toters will make it easier and more efficient for them, but also protect their employees' backs. And as I noted, they're now responsible to clean um, 10 feet around each can. Um, the sensors will allow them to adjust their routes so they can be more efficient. Some cans don't need daily service, while others need multiple times of day. So this is going to allow recology to be more efficient, and it'll also ensure that we're spending our time maintaining the cans that need more maintenance. I do just want to note, there's no perfect can. And unless we had a force field around these, they, they're going to get tagged. And they're, we're going to have people who are going to try to rummage. We're going to have people who try to vandalize them. But we really try to be mindful of the challenges with our existing cans and to design as best we can to address those. And uh, it will, we will always need to do maintenance. Any can in any big city is going to have issues, but we are hopeful that these cans will be less maintenance, which will save us money and we can spend more time cleaning the streets in other ways. And I'll hand it back to Lisa. For on administrative certificate of appropriateness for Article 10 landmark districts. We've also gotten an approval for a minor permit to alter for Article 11 conservation districts. The funding for trash and procurement is also secured. So currently we're here today to seek your approval for phase three. And we're also working to issue the request for proposal um, to start the solicitation and procurement process. Uh, your time is up, but is this the last slide? This is our last slide. Okay. And I'll go really quick on the process of the RFQ, RFP process. Um, so we're going to continue to work with uh, our fabricators who created the pilot cans to develop minimum qualifications and help us solicit and ensure that we have the best manufacturer identified to uh, to deliver this project. We're also going to um, to apply best practices that were utilized at New York City's Better Bin project were applicable to our project. Um, and during the manufacturing process, when so we have the manufacturer on board, we will continue to work with the pilot can fabricator who will offer design and value engineering uh, services um, and to, as we work with the manufacturers to ensure we have quality, durability, and budgets are met. Um, and during that manufacturing process, we're going to ask the manufacturers to look at some design modifications that we had previously mentioned, um, including developing a high quality lock and hinge system, re-examining size of openings, and also the recycling symbol design. So that's it for our um, presentation. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. And I personally want to say thank you very much to Carla Short, the acting director of Department of Public Works for coming and sharing your expertise on maintenance. It's wonderful to see you. Um, commissioners, before we go into a conversation about this, and we did have a very lively conversation about it um, in May, um, I want to say that there was a meeting, an informal meeting with uh, Ms. Zhao and other members 
of the public works to talk about this can and there as she just described to you. One of the issues is that they can't give us definitive information about every little aspect of it because it will be in an RFP and they have to define what they are looking for finishes that are durable, etc. So I just want to highlight that to you as we go into our discussion. So we don't necessarily have a completely defined product with every material and uh, finish yet, but one will come with the RFP. So just making that clear. All right, so I wanna open it up for conversation. Commissioner's comments, please. Any? Yeah, any? Go ahead. I'll follow. Okay, well, I think that Commissioner Stryker just explained some of my, my questions because otherwise it doesn't see the, seem that much has changed since our last meeting. Um, we had assurances last time and um, the mock-ups sort of told, told the real story about the, the maintenance process that it had, had fallen, fallen through the cracks, it seems. And the power washing wasn't working. The, the paper tags, you could still see the debris on them. So we were hoping we might get more information on that. And the hinge was clearly broken as well. And you're, you're saying that these are tamper-proof. Again, that was a mock-up. And as Commissioner Stryker just explained, the RFQ will actually define how, the, how it will be put together more clearly. Um, I think we all like the aesthetics of it. I mean, everybody seems to as well as your your public outreach but the maintenance is is what alarmed us before and why we didn't even have a motion last time and i'm not really clear how this presentation cleared up our issues from last time um i do see the three-pronged approach 311 would there be actually would there maybe be a note on the can saying if you i don't know how you get that many words on it if you see issues call 311 the second one was recology will clean within a five foot radius. I think that that's good. Too bad you can't always get a 10 foot radius. Um, and the power washing is really the most important issue probably. It seems some of them would have to be power washed almost every day just to get rid of the paint for one thing. And then those paper tags, I'm, I'm not sure what kind of glue they use, but it certainly seems to be stubborn. Because that mock-up, I still have the phones on my camera. I went by last night and I see it's gone. But it's it's a stubborn problem and DPW, I mean, like you said, that's a huge, it's like some some huge big cancer that's constantly attacking you. Every day you must wake up to to horror of what happened. So we want to make your job easier by coming up with the best possible can so that the surfaces aren't as easily tagged. If you bring up the photograph, we had talked about maybe the, the certain band on top is maybe so wide that it attracts them. And if we could have the the um sort of spindles going all, all the way up but you said it wouldn't be structurally sound but maybe they could reduce the bulk on top to have less area to tag anyway i could go on and on but the, those are my issues it just doesn't seem that much has been resolved mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I, I want to comment on your points and your concerns, sir, about the um, pilot cans and how the hinges and the locks are not working. So the purpose of the pilot program and the prototypes, it's not meant to, we're not meant to create the perfect cans, but we want to create the prototypes so I, we can study and learn about those designs and how they'll actually function in real life. So, um, you know, from the pilots and the prototypes, we learned what works and what doesn't. For example, the hinges and locks we know does doesn't work. Therefore, we're going to improve upon them during the manufacturing process and have an even more robust design on the design of the hinges and the locks so that they would work better. Um, and so, um, Carla, I don't know if you have more. I was, I was going to say a similar thing that part of the, the reason why we went through the prototyping process was really to test and field test what um, what was working with any of the various prototypes with the idea that we might be mixing and matching a little bit at the final product. And I think one of the things we did learn with this is, you know, the opening is not quite big enough for <clears throat> many carry out containers. And so we want to make it a little bit more maybe oval um, and a little bit wider rather than round. Um, so we fully intend to kind of take those lessons learned um, in terms of the you know, the power washing is something that we do proactively. The stickers are a big challenge. It, it's hard to get them off. Um, but I think one of the things we talked about with our maintenance team was um, other tools that we might use if these cans were going to be deployed citywide that might assist them in doing the maintenance. And so they had some interesting ideas for like pronged scrubbers that they could use um, associated with the power washing that would fit in into the little slats and maybe help get some of that debris off. So um, it's very much intended to be a learning process. And then as we, you know, we we can adapt, but they felt even our own crews who do the maintenance on every one of the prototypes, um, you know, all the different models as well as the Renaissance cans felt like this was the, the best uh, option generally as it performed. Other comments, commissioners? Uh, hi, I had a couple of questions for you. I'm, I'm glad you started to address about the larger opening for containers because I was looking at that going, they're just going to drop it right next to it. And, you know, and if it's windy that day and it goes beyond the five foot or 10 foot radius, then, you know, it's trash is gone. So um, I think the larger opening is a really good idea. Um, and then the other aspect is the smaller opening is for recycled, but basically you're looking at cans and bottles for that. You don't want any papers in there, correct? That's right. It's really designed as a recycling exchange so that uh, people who are going to collect cans and bottles and take them to the recycling center can easily access those. Um, and it's not designed for all recycling. Okay. All right. And then um, the other thought I had, um, you know, the stainless steel. You know, it's a lovely look and everything else, but it's expensive. So, and because this is all about recycling and environmental and stuff, um, when you're going through the process, why not see if there are recycled materials that can be used instead of the stainless steel? I don't know whether there is or isn't, but just that thought and that idea, if you're dealing with trash containers, might be a wonderful way to go to I would explore it with the manufacturers and in your RFQ ask them what kind of materials recyclable type of materials can be used that would do and 
everything we need here according to this RFQ. Throw it out there, see what comes back. I, I love that suggestion, and certainly I think we will look at that. One of the things that um, that is one of those trade-offs is durability, because I think you know one we we did kind of a roadshow around town where we took questions about the cans, and it was fascinating um, how many people care about trash cans. Really heartening in many ways, um, but I think people don't realize it. It's pretty cost um, costly and somewhat time intensive to install a can. Because we have to use, you know, a crane to get put them into place, and then we have to have our sheet metal workers who actually install them to the sidewalk. So, uh, if they can be super durable and not have to be replaced, that is a great uh, maintenance cost savings to the city. So we are. That was one of the big intentions behind the stainless. But I, I love your idea about seeing what's out there in terms of recycled materials. Any other commissioner comments? Um, I just want to say thank you for coming back and explaining yeah. more about uh, the process that you've gone through and um, that, as you know, we are very interested in durability. So we are all on the same page in that. Um, so whatever you can do in your RFP to ensure the durability, I'm sure it's probably the first line in your um, ask in the contract. Okay, um, any public comment? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I wanted to. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, uh, so, um, so um, thank you for all the great comments. I uh, appreciate that. Um, I just wanted to add one and maybe, I don't know exactly how to translate this into RFQ because I know that you've done a lot of testing and uh, surveys and comments, but I'm super interested in the size of the holes and how many there are. <laughs> and I mean, I totally get that one hole of a certain size will accommodate recycling and various different sizes containers. But then I'm also wondering in terms of human nature, uh, if, if you're approaching a trash can and one side is completely blank, will you just try and put the trash on top? Will you even know it's a trash can? I don't know if it's the ship has sailed on that, but um, I would be interested in understanding the uh, yes, both the, uh, I don't know, the nuance of, of uh, human interaction with the trash can and somehow quantifying uh, the sizes of what gets put into it. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how you would do that at this point, but um, just a thought. I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank oh, you. Uh, sorry. Did, did you have another comment? Oh, I, I have a question. Would there be more trash cans than we currently have, or is it just sort of replacing what we have? Um, it is the intent is really to primarily replace what we currently have. I will note we we did a extensive um, study around trash cans in San Francisco. We have more trash cans in San Francisco um, than most cities. Um, even though we're much smaller. <laughs> so um, I think there will be an opportunity to look at placement um, and the sensors will allow us, I think, to decide, you know, if there's a can that's really hardly being used at all, we might relocate that to a place where there's a need for more. Um, but the primary intention is mostly to replace the existing population of cans.
I'm looking for uh, in person public comment first. So for those joining in person, please come to the public comment podium. For those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. And if you're listening by phone, press star three to be placed in the queue. Uh, instructions are on the screen. We are currently on item five. As a reminder, time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer on the screen and receive a 30 second audible warning when uh, before your time concludes. Then you'll be muted. Once your time is up, you may stay on the line if you would like to speak on other items. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.coats.sfgov.org. Um, so for in-person public comment, anyone would like to make one? No. Uh, now looking at virtual public comment, I'm looking for raised hands. Um, I am not seeing any hands raised. Uh, public comment for this item is now closed. Thank you. Um, so I will ask for a final vote to approve the San Francisco new public trash receptacles phase three. The understanding that there's some unknowns with the RFP. Um, do I have a motion? So moved, Commissioner Schneer. Do I have a second? So moved, Commissioner Collins. Thank you, Commissioner Collins. Let's have a vote, please. All in favor, say aye. 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 Those uh, not in favor, say nay. Uh, say nay oh. <laughs> on the record. Nay. Um, I, we usually have a discussion before a motion, but. Um, we did. I, I'm, I mean, okay. I, I just wanted to add a little word. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, and Commissioner Rothschild, do you have a vote? Uh, aye. Aye. Okay. So motion passes with one dissent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Thank you, commissioners. Yes, your Okay, so let's move to our next item, which is item number six, six, and that's the staff report, which will be given by Deputy Director Joanne Lee. And I think she why don't we handle restroom breaks? Would you like to? Let's take a restroom. Okay, <laughs> okay please. Oh, everybody, you got it. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's okay. Let's take a five minute. Let's take a five minute break and then.
Hold on, let me get your mic. Up. We are live again, item number six, and this is the staff report given by Deputy Director of Programs, Joanne Lee. Great, thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I just have a quick announcement. As many of you know, this is my last meeting um, with the Civic Design Review Committee. Um, I am leaving the Arts Commission after four years of service here. And I just want to say that it has been such a rewarding experience to both be on staff here at the Arts Commission, but also to be able to staff the CDR committee. I didn't know that much about it when I started <laughs> at the Arts Commission, um, but and I have learned so much from all of you, your wisdom and all of your thoughts and comments about, you know, how good design, good urban design really makes the city, you know, so much more livable and such a beautiful city that we all love. So um, thank you for this great journey that I've been on here with you. I will really always um, check in to see what CDR is doing. It's great to see the impact throughout San Francisco. Um, and so I wish you all well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, can we give yeah. Joanne Lee round? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be other people who have comments um, in our little group here today, but I just want to say, Joanne, everything you've done has been stellar. And you are so spot on with your advice in many, many situations, all kinds. And um, I take your advice seriously, and I've been very grateful to it. And there's also been times when um, you have talked me down <laughs> um, when I have been rather charged up about certain issues or situations. And I just want to say thank you for your levity and your wisdom and um, your intelligence, both emotional and brilliance. Um, and it's just been so nice working with you. I, I really had a, a great time with you and thank you for what you've given us and what you will continue to give to the city in your new job. Here, here, I <laughs> agree with everything you said. And I'd also like to add that how you helped us to streamline some of our processes here and make our meetings so much more efficient and thorough at the same time, which I don't know how you're able to do that, but you managed to make that happen. And I just want to say a huge thank you for that and how much I have enjoyed working with you through all this process. And when there have been thorny issues and stuff, you've been wonderful with your wise thoughts and ways of handling things. And when I needed uh, information, you were able to get it from other departments or explain to me how best to handle things. So I just want to thank you for all of that. Um, and boy, am I going to miss you. <laughs> Joanne, I don't know where to start, but I won't be long. Um, you've been um, the guidepost for so much for the four years that you have been here, you know, coming out of, in the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic with shifts of leadership and your steady hand on the helm during these periods of transition and difficulty, but also of acceleration. We never, we didn't go backwards under your leadership. And I'm sorry that this is the last meeting that you'll have for here, and it's my first meeting. So we're, we're playing a relay race. 
But honestly, you know, Joanne, you are an extraordinary leader and your composure under pressure is remarkable. And you've had a lot of pressure and you've helped all of us to maintain a certain composure. And it's often, you know, when, when we don't really know where we're going or, you know, that the agendas are unclear and your ability to really shape, you know, our commission through how we better operate as a team, but also in all the different positions we play is really exceptional. And so I hope that as with many people around here, that this is just a, um, um, it's not a goodbye, but it's just, uh, it's the next step in your really brilliant career that will get a chance to stay involved in your life. Thank you. I'm, I'm fairly new to the commission, but it's been a pleasure to work with you. Wish you all the best. All one, two, three, four. I'll fist that. <laughs> Public comment. Item number six. For those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. You're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the public comment queue. The instructions are on screen and we are currently on item number six. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer on the screen and receive a 30 second warning before your time concludes. Then you'll be muted once your time is up. You may stay on the line if you'd like to speak on other items. Anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.co.sfgov.org. Um, I'm seeking uh, remote public comments now. Is there anyone that would like to make a public comment? Uh, please raise your hand. Uh, we are looking for raised hands on WebEx. I'm not seeing any um, and public comment for this item is now closed. Um, and let's move to item number seven. That is new business and announcements. Is there any new business or announcements that any of you would like to share? Is there any public comment about that? Uh, for those joining remotely, please raise your hand if you're listening via WebEx. If you're calling by phone, press star three to be placed in the public comment queue. Um, the instructions are on screen and we are currently on item number seven. As a reminder, your time will start when you begin speaking. You will see a visual timer on the screen and receive a 30 second audible warning before your time is up. You may stay in the line if you would like to speak. Well, there are no other items. Um, anyone who speaks during a public comment period at today's meeting can send a summary of the comments to be included in the minutes if it is 150 words or less to paris.co to sfdub. Org. Looking for raised hands in the WebEx queue. Not seeing any hands raised. And public comment for this item is now closed. Okay, then that leads to our last item, number eight, which is adjournment. So we should do that at reading. This meeting is adjourned. Joanne, just to send her out. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get to hear that. I was just kidding. Poor Joanna, if she had it here two more times, I was 